Well, the Old Testament lesson recorded for this Sunday is from the book of Isaiah, the 55th chapter, beginning at verse 10. And you'll note that in the readings for today, both the Old Testament and the uh, gospel reading, that the focus is on the power of the Word and how God's Word produces fruit. And so we read in Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, they do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson is from the gospel of St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into the boat, and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus continues on, and now he explains that parable. Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, well, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but it endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Monuments are important to God's people. We heard in last Sunday's sermon that monuments serve many purposes. Monuments that God's people erect often encapsulate a story. They tell the story of God's faithfulness even in the midst of people's unfaithfulness. Monuments often 
serve as teaching tools. They're like object lessons that parents can use to tell the story, God's story, to their children so that their children might be enriched and edified in their faith. Monuments, we are told from last week's sermon, serve as a testimony. They serve as a testimony to people who do not believe in God, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And these monuments are ways in which God directs people's eyes to himself. So God's people erect monuments that speak of their story, that speak of God's story, of God's activity in their lives, so that not only their own faith is enriched, but so that other people might come to believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And to dismantle a monument, to dismantle one of God's monuments, so to speak, is is like to rip a chapter out of a book, simply because you don't like the characters and you don't like the storyline. But it does great damage to the story. Well, today we're going to continue on with our sermon series that I've entitled God's Monumental Lessons. And today we're going to look at another monument, another monument in the Old Testament, and this time I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 10. And if you have your Bibles at home, you're welcome to join along uh, as I read. Well, Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night before the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. And he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and had set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and, I, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you gave me or give me, I will give you a tenth. Well, this is our text. This text starts off by saying that Jacob left Beersheba. Do you know why it was that Jacob leaves? Well, it's because he's a scoundrel. That's why. He's a cheat. He's a deceiver. He's a conniver. He's a manipulator. 
this number two son believes that it's his divine birthright to be the number one son and to have all the blessings that come along with being the number one son in that culture. And so with the help of his mother, Jacob steals his brother's firstborn blessing, feigning to be his twin brother Esau, tricking Isaac into thinking that he is actually Esau. And now, well, Jacob is on the run. He's on the run. He's leaving his family behind. He's escaping the ire of his brother Esau, who has vowed that that he is going to kill Jacob when he gets his chance after Isaac has died. And so Jacob is on the run. And now he's all alone. And deservingly so. Jacob now finds himself in a dark spot in his life. He's in one of those valleys where there's no light at the end of the tunnel. He is on a sojourn, and he doesn't know the destination. But it is to such a scoundrel that God, in his undeserved love and favor, descends from heaven to earth to renew his covenant relationship with Jacob. Some scholars suggest that Jacob was faced with, faced with this predicament is now repentant, that he's experiencing remorse because of his deceit, that Jacob is lamenting that which he has lost because of his manipulative ways, that he was apprehensive because he's not aware or sure of what his future holds. And some or all of these suggestions might be true. But you see, this story isn't really about Jacob. It's not about a man ascending to heaven. This story is about God and about God descending from heaven to earth. It's about heaven meeting earth. We're told in our text, taking one of the stones there, Jacob put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed by you and your offspring. And I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. What a dream. What a dream. I mean, Jacob dreams of a divine ladder. The Lord stands at the top of the ladder and Jacob is at the bottom of the ladder. The object of God's mercy. The ladder connects heaven to earth. It connects God to to Jacob. And Jacob's dream points to God's relentless desire to attach himself not only to Jacob, but all of the people whom he loves. And God issues Jacob some wonderful promises, promises that are made not only to Jacob, but also to his descendants. For God says to Jacob that this land on which he finds himself sleeping will one day be given to him, as was promised to his forefathers. God promises that Jacob's descendants will be numerous. In fact, they're going to multiply and spread out all across the earth, east, west, north, south. And then he makes this wonderful promise in which he says that one of Jacob's descendants will be a blessing to all the peoples of the world. And that's a promise of a Savior. 
And he promises Jacob that he'll be with Jacob every step of the way. And that eventually he will lead Jacob back to where Jacob is at that moment. He'll bring him back safely to the land promised to Abraham and to Isaac. In many ways, this vision is God absolving Jacob of his sin. God is forgiving the sin of a repentant Jacob. And in order to do so, God descends to Jacob. When Jacob, we read in our text, awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar, as a monument. And he poured oil on it. And he called that place Bethel. Jacob erects a monument. It's just a simple stone. It was the stone on which he laid his head as he was sleeping. But he erects this monument in order to honor God, to honor God for the wonderful promises that God has made to him and to his descendants. And he anoints the monument with oil, and he names the place Bethel. means house of God. This monument reminds Jacob and others of God's promises, the promises that God has made to Jacob and to his descendants. This monument testifies to God's unrelenting desire to be involved in the life of Jacob and his descendants and all the people of this world. And Jacob sets up this monument so that he will not forget and so that his descendants won't forget and so that the people in many years to come won't forget that God is faithful and God is loving and God is kind and God promises a Savior. This is an important monument, not only to Jacob, but all the people who follow him. This simple stone at Bethel has monumental lessons for him and for us. Jacob's monument, and maybe more specifically Jacob's dream, is of great importance to Jesus, our Savior. In John chapter 1, we're told that when Jesus was engaging Nathanael in the discussion, Jesus said to Nathanael, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus makes a very specific reference to Jacob's vision. Whereas in Jacob's vision, there is a ladder in which the angels are ascending and descending, Jesus replaces the ladder with himself. And Jesus is essentially saying to Nathanael, I am that ladder. I am the one who connects heaven and earth. Jesus is the irrevocable, unalterable connection between God and humankind. As one author says, through Jesus, heaven opened and God landed with two dirty human feet on the same earth where you and I stand. And so Jesus is the one through whom God connects himself to humanity. And why is that so important? Why is it so important that God comes down to us as opposed to us trying to ascend to God? Well, it's because heaven and earth are separated. 
They're separated by our sin. There's no way that you and I can ascend to the glories of heaven. We simply do not have the ability to do so. The Bible makes it very clear that there's nothing that we can do, not even our good deeds, that ultimately merit us a step-by-step away into heaven. Not at all. We can try all kinds of forms of spirituality and think that somehow or other we are becoming more in tune with God and that we are making ourselves one with God, as some religions teach. And the reality is that our sin reminds us that no, we're separated from God unless God descends to us and that God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, we, we just simply can't get our act together enough to be worthy of him. And that was certainly true of Jacob. There was absolutely no reason for God to be merciful to Jacob, and yet God in his mercy descends to Jacob and assures him that he will be his God and that he'll be with him until the end of his life. You see, Jacob's stone monument reminds us of Jacob's dream. And then Jacob's dream reminds us of the ladder that he saw in that dream. And then the ladder reminds us of Jesus' words to Nathaniel, where he basically says that he is the ladder. Jesus is that ladder. He's the connection. He's the link between heaven and earth. And so then it focuses our mind and our hearts on Jesus being the Savior of the world. He is the new Bethel. He is the house of God. He is the dwelling place. He is the one who came and tabernacled, dwelt among us, so that we might have a relationship with God. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. That's why Jesus says that he is the door, the entrance into the presence of God. That is why Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, has made him known to you. Yes, you see, it's through Christ who descended from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus who makes it possible for us to live in relationship with the Lord. Now Jacob was running away. He was running away from what he had done. He was running away from his treachery. As I mentioned before, he's running away from the ire and the anger of his brother who was bent on revenge. His father Isaac had told him to get away from the country because he didn't want Jacob marrying women that worship false gods. And so he was on the run. And while he was on the run, God came to him. He met him. He met Jacob where Jacob found himself. When I think about Jacob, I think about myself, and I think about really all of us. Because in many ways, we're all running from something. Some of us are maybe running from our past. We're trying to escape guilt, regret, failures, disappointments, shame. We're trying to run away from it. Some of us are trying to run away from the, from the pain and the losses and the brokenness of life that we're experiencing right now. But we're running. Sometimes we're running because we just want to leave behind the parts of our lives or ourselves that we don't like. But we're running. And as we run away, 
Like Jacob, we find ourselves all alone. And sometimes deservingly so. But today, this monument that's erected at Bethel reminds us that God meets us where we're at. Even when we're running away, he's right there with us. And he meets us where we are. We see that time and again, not only in Jacob's life, but we see it in the life of other of people that God loves and cares for. I mean, we see it in Moses. God's Bethel moment for him was the burning bush. We see it with the people of Israel as they're wandering around in the wilderness. God was present among them with that tabernacle. We see it in the life of Samuel in that God was that quiet voice that spoke to him in the middle of the night. We see it with Jonah. His Bethel moment was in the belly of a large fish. For Daniel, it was in a lion's den. For Ezekiel, it was a bizarre dream. For the Ethiopian eunuch, it was in a chariot in which Philip is welcomed in and Philip explains to him Isaiah 53. For Paul, it was an encounter as he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians and Jesus literally knocked him off the horse. It doesn't say he was riding a horse, but we'll say he was riding a horse. Knocked him off the horse and called him to be a disciple of his. For Cornelius, it was hearing the testimony of St. Uh, Saint Peter. For Lydia, it was beside the, the river near Philippi where she and her household were baptized. And the list could go on and on. You see, all of these people were running away or they were involved in some aspect of life and God met them where they were at, where they are. And what about us? Where do you find yourself today? What might you be running away from? Or maybe you're not running away from anything. Maybe you're just stuck in the muck and the mire of life. The tedium of life is just getting to you. You're tired and you're worn out from this coronavirus. You're tired and worn out from the unrest that you see in the streets. You're tired and worn out by seeing those things that you cherish as Americans just crumbling because people are rioting in the streets and people don't have the guts to stand up to them. Maybe you're just tired of it all. Well, God meets you where you are. That's the lesson of the monument at Bethel. Maybe some of you have seen that I posted yesterday a music video on our St. James Facebook page. It's a song that I had never heard before, but as I was researching for this message, I came upon it. It's by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it's entitled, Jesus Will Meet You There. When I read these words, they really hit me, because they speak right to me, but I know they'll also speak right to you. Listen to these words. When you think that you've hit the bottom, and the bottom gives way, and you fall into a darkness that no words can explain, and you don't know how you'll make it out alive, well, Jesus will meet you there. When the doctor says, I'm sorry, we don't know what else to do, and you're looking at your family wondering how they'll make it through, whatever road this life takes you down, Jesus will meet you there. He knows the way to wherever you are. He knows the way to the depths of your heart. He knows the way because he's already been where you're going. And Jesus will meet you there. When the jury says guilty, 
and the prison doors close. When the one you love says nothing, just packs up and goes. When the sunlight comes and your world's dark, and your world's still dark, Jesus will meet you there. When you've failed again and all your second chances have been used, and the heavy weight of guilt and shame is crushing down on you, and all you have is one last cry for help, Jesus will meet you there. He knows the way to wherever you are. He knows the way to the depths of your heart. He knows the way because he's already been where you're going. When you realize the dreams that you've had for your children won't come true, when the phone rings in the middle of the night with tragic news, whatever valley you must walk through, Jesus will meet you there. He will meet you there. Jesus will meet you there. That's one of God's monumental lessons for us. A lesson that he communicated to Jacob. It's a lesson that that monument that Jacob erected at Bethel that speaks to us. It reminds us that indeed we have a Savior. He descends to us. He meets us where we are. He's already met us at the baptismal font, and he has claimed us as his own. He meets us at the Lord's table when we partake of his very body and blood. He meets us even here in this sanctuary, and he meets us online using Facebook Live. But just know that wherever you are, whatever circumstance you find yourself, Jesus will meet you there, and he'll meet you with his love and his embrace. And he'll be with you right to the very end of the age. That's his promise to you and to me. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.